And good morning. My name is Israel Martinez, and I have the privilege of getting to serve here at Redeemer Church Irving as the lead pastor. And I am so thankful to be here with you guys today. And today, um, we have the privilege, especially if you, if you know Jesus, as, as coming together um, as children of God, sons and daughters of a holy God. And so my, my encouragement is to come now and, and, and worship and learn from his word. Don't take that blessing for granted. And so let's pray now through the power of the Holy Spirit and ask him, just pray in your spirit, pray as we study his word, um, and, and, and ask him to, to be with us, ask him to comfort us, and guide us as we look deeper into God's word. And so I pray you feel comforted um, by God's word, and that it encourages you again to keep fighting, as Paul says, the good fight. God sees you. He knows your story. He knows your pain. And he desires, especially for his children, he desires your heart to be his and nobody else's. So if you know him, rest in his wondrous grace and mercy. Let that just sink in right now. And if you don't know him, and if you're confused on that question, ask right now I think, to, to know him for the first time. Again, today we're going to talk about a man whose name was Epaphroditus. His, his name uh, meant lovely or charming. It's a weird long name, right? <laughs> but how do you pronounce that? Epaphroditus. Uh, he, he was a, a companion and fellow laborer of the Apostle Paul in ministry, we see. In our text today... And another mention later in this same letter are the only mention of this man, Epaphroditus, in the whole Bible. And so Paul wants us to show, he wants to show another example of a gospel partner who lived a life of gospel service. Remember last week we looked at Timothy and how his gospel partnership produced this gospel service. We're going to look and, and get a glimpse of what Paul uh, is, is teaching and showing us from the life of Epaphroditus. And we're going to see from our text, and we're going to worship and learn how to apply this text to our lives and how to, to love our wondrous great God. And so, I'm, again, I'm so thankful that we get to worship as we um, are uh, learning from the book of Philippians today. So if you have a Bible, open up your Bible, turn on your device. We're going to be, we're people of the word. We want to be in the word. Jesus is the living word. He's given us his written word to know and to guide us here and to be um, what we turn to, um, to, to receive what he has taught us. And so we want to be what we say gospel-centered, centered in the word of what Christ is, has taught us and is teaching us. So if you would join with me again in Philippians 2, 25 through 30, and we're going to learn today um, that the church today can be encouraged to learn from Epaphroditus's life of gospel service, which shows us true gospel partnership necessitates Sending, suffering, and risking, which lead to true gospel service. So remember, we've been learning in the book of Philippians that this true gospel partnership produces unity in the faith or unity in our true belief. And Paul has said this amazing phrase. He said, for, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I think that sets the tone for the whole book of Philippians. And he's, tell these, he's told these Philippians, hey, that you guys are going to suffer and you're going to enter and engage in conflict. 
And Paul wants the church to be encouraged on this foundation of gospel unity or partnership in spite of conflict and suffering that is inevitable. And so Paul has used this word partnership, which is the Greek word koinonia. If you've ever have been in church, you may have heard this word. It's translated community, fellowship, um, and, and another good translation is partnership or even joint partnership. And so... Uh, Based on scripture, we've defined biblical partnership saying true partnership in the church is an active partnership in the gospel, a close relationship of mutual benefit of promoting the gospel through cooperation, through uh, sympathy, through suffering, through financial giving, through active labor and prayer and, and love. And so this is, again, this partnership is one of Paul's biggest themes and how he kind of sets the tone for the book. Um, and, and Paul has given us a few themes. One is this idea of rejoicing is kind of a, an overall theme in, in what you do. But he says rejoicing in our partnership. He gives us this theme of encouragement is where we get that rejoicing from. And then we also see this theme of just change in people. We're going to see a lot of that today in our, in our guy Epaphroditus. And so, we, again, we have learned that a good summary for the whole book of Philippians is that Paul encourages gospel partnership in the church that will actually advance or progress the gospel, that's the translation there, um, as it changes people and expands to uh, all nations. And so the book of Philippians was written by Paul, this super apostle who was on his way, not seeking Jesus, but persecuting Christians, hating Christians. And God woke him up on his way to Damascus to look up and see him. And he, he was saved in that moment. And he became a true believer. And this man who, was, who hated Christianity and everything about it was then transformed and changed to become this apostle to the nations. This, in a way, this super apostle, the, the, the most famous apostle that we see um, other than the, the other uh, 11, then goes out to the nations to then uh, impact and, and, and change the nations. Nations means Gentile in the Bible. And so we see that Paul's letter to the Philippian church specifically provided this wonderful example of what gospel partnership was in the church. And so we see that the Philippians, had, they, they shared in Paul's love and proclamation of the gospel. They sympathized again with his suffering. They too themselves suffered for the gospel. They also gave to support the cause of Christ. Paul talks and is thankful for their gifts. We're going to see some of that in our text today. They gave sacrificially, not just money, but their lives, their resources, their time to this cause of Christ. They worked together and were this, this distinct people in their city and they prayed for Paul. They prayed for Paul a lot for this progress or this advancement of the gospel. All as an overflow of love that was born in them by the Holy Spirit. And so Paul, we see at, at, at Philippians, he's more than likely at the end of his, close to the end of his life, in jail, uh, alone. He does have some guys that, that I believe you, Timothy and Epaphroditus, that he can stay in connect, connection with. And the, the guys there, the guard, um, but, but, you know, he probably felt alone so often there by himself. But we see that Paul had people that he trusted, true gospel partners, even when he was in jail, like Timothy, who we looked at last week, and our man Epaphroditus, who we will look at today this week. And Paul was wanting the church, and he said this in the beginning in, in verse 127, to live lives worthy of the gospel. In unity, as gospel partners, as he uses again these two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, to give us true examples of gospel partners. 
So remember, we partner because Jesus has called us to gospel unity through partnership. But because Jesus, the God man, partnership can also be what I think churches call membership. I don't really like the term membership as much. It seems more like a club or very American. That's fine. Member, it's not a bad word. Um, partnership, I, I just, I really like that because it's coming from Philippians. It's coming from the Bible. It's kind of a, a theme that we see. But thinking of that, some people are like, is church membership really necessary? Eh, uh, Hebrew says that, um, that we're supposed to submit to our leaders. So there's some kind of something happening there. And then we see Paul talk about this gospel partnership. God, so we at Redeemer, we do covenant partnership. And so that's what we encourage. It's not a contract. It's just, hey, we're going to come together and say we're family. And in that, we're going to live out the gospel together. That's, that's covenant partnership uh, simply. But we see in this that, that, that Paul wanted them to see Jesus, who is the true God-man, come in obedience to the Father to be our humbly exalted Savior who, who has called us to obedience in him. He says that we are to be lights of the world. We learned a few weeks ago because he is the light of the world. And so again, the church today can, can be encouraged and learn from Epaphroditus' life of gospel service, which shows us that true gospel partnership necessitates sending, suffering, and risking, which lead to true gospel service. And so said shortly, another way of saying it is today we're going to learn that true gospel partnership necessitates sending, suffering, and risking, which leads to true gospel service. And so let's read our text together in Philippians 2, 25 through 30. Again, Philippians 2, 25 through 30, I encourage your heart and your eyes to be in the text as we walk through it now. Paul says, I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker, fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him. Therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. And so again, as we walk through the text in Philippians 2, 25-30, we're going to clearly see that the text encourages and teaches that the church today can be encouraged to learn from Epaphroditus' life of gospel service, which shows us that true gospel partnership necessitates sending, suffering, and risking, which lead to true gospel service. So true gospel partnership necessitates sending, suffering, and risking, which lead to true gospel service. So let's look at verse 25 more closely together. And it says, Paul says, I have thought it necessary. I'm going to stop there. He said, I thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier. Listen to these, these uh, adjectives. And your messenger and minister to my need. So we see that, firstly, that true gospel partnership necessitates sending. Again, this sending will lead to true gospel service. So let's just look at Epaphroditus. Paul calls him brother, which is cool because it's different from what, how he 
relates to Timothy. There seemed to be an age gap between Paul and Timothy. Paul says, Timothy's my son. Maybe that language is a little more intimate. That the language is not as intimate with Epaphroditus, some could say, or maybe it's just different. He calls him brother. Maybe they're closer to the same age. Maybe Epaphroditus is a little older. We don't really know, but look at the adjectives he uses uh, contrasted with what he said to Timothy. My beloved son, my son. Um, I loved him like a father loves a son. He says to Epaphroditus, brother. He calls him my brother. I thought said my, he wants to send his brother, his fellow worker, this guy who labored with him, who fought with him, who was at, Paul's kind of saying, like, he's at my same level. Like, I'm not better than him. Like, he's at my same level. It seems that what he's saying, my co-laborer is how we translate that word. And then he says, fellow soldier. He gives him respect. Like, he is a, he, he, he is a man. He's a soldier. He can fight. He, he's giving this idea that we are in a spiritual battle, Ephesians 6, right? That our struggle is not against flesh and blood is what we think. It's not. It, it, it's, it's a spiritual thing. It, it's it's um, Satan and his kingdom. It's, it's the demons. It, it's not just, yes, we have three enemies, your own flesh, the world around you that's not of God, and then, and, then, and then the kingdom of Satan, which is all the demons and the demonic forces. That is attacking you and messing with you every day. Don't forget that. That's why he's saying he is a soldier. He's a, he's a spiritual uh, soldier. And the Bible tells us to pick up, you know, the, the word of truth, the belt plate of righteousness, all these things in Ephesians that help us fight the fiery darts of Satan that are coming at you every day. Ta, 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 ta. He's saying, be ready. It's a spiritual battle. And so he also says, you are this brother, fellow worker, soldier. And, and he says, you are, man, you're a messenger. Literally, the, the word here is apostle. He's not saying you're one of the apostles. He's saying you're a missionary. You're a sent one. You are a worker. You, you, you work hard for the gospel. And then he says this interesting word, which is not the word that we usually translate minister, the word deacon or diakonos, which is this idea of servant or minister. This one, this word that Paul uses here is minister, and it conveys this, um, this idea of sacred or solemn work um, undertaken for religious purposes. So it was a Greek word used for that. And so that's interesting that Paul is saying, hey, man, I think a way of saying it, he's like, man, you are my gospel minister. You are this man that is ministering, not just like a deacon. And so that's where some people think uh, Paphroditus eventually became the bishop or the pastor elder at the church in Philippi. We don't know. But now we see him in this context where he's just serving. And, and, and Paul says, man, thank you. We see that um, Paul recognizes that he is human and that he is weak and needy. We see this in verse 25 that he says that you have ministered to my need. Paul's not saying he doesn't have needs. He's not saying he's Superman. He's Paul. And he's just like, thank you, Epaphroditus, for coming and for serving, for being my man, my brother, my, my uh, co-laborer, my soldier. And he says, this missionary, this sent one who then ministers to my need in a specific way. So let's Continue looking. Look um, at verse 25 and 26 with me in context. We can get a, a better uh, understanding. He says, again, verse 25, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. Verse 26, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Man, we see some really deep language. Back to verse 26, where he says that he has been longing for you all. 
Epaphroditus has, has really cared and given his life and loves these people. We assume that he was a Philippian and, and that he knew them and he loved them. But there's some, some uh, we'll look later in the text, we think maybe he wasn't a Philippian because Paul has to say like, hey, like, these, like him, accept him. The point was, we don't know all the details, but we know that he cared. If he didn't know them or if he did, it doesn't matter. He, he cared for them. He was really willing to risk his life, we're going to see. And he says that he was longing for them and that he had been in distress because he's like, ah, oh, you heard that I was sick. Like, I didn't want you guys to be extra burdened. Because when you have a relationship of true gospel partnership, you care for the other person. You care if they've been sick or hurt. And so that's, I mean, you just see this deep, intimate love. That even Epaphroditus being sick was like, I don't want you guys to worry about me. I want you guys to, 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 to not feel or do anything extra. And, and then we see verse 27, because he was, he was indeed ill. Paul's like, he was really, really sick. And we don't know why he was sick. Uh, we don't know if it was, um, we, we assume it was something physical and probably not something, but, you know, with physical illness there comes some mental stuff. We don't, we think it was something physical by reading the text that he would almost die. And so Paul talks about a thorn in the side and some things like that that he carried. And so it seems that there was this physical thing that was weighing on him emotionally and spiritually. And, and that, that Paul says here that indeed he was ill in verse 27, near to death. But what? He says, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him, Paul says, but also on me. Paul's like, man, I love this dude. And he was about to die. And I, Paul might have felt responsible. We don't know. But do you see this deep, beautiful, intimate language? Just like God gave Paul and Epaphroditus mercy, God has given us mercy, ultimately through Jesus Christ, ultimately pulling back. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is a gift, and mercy is not getting the wrath or punishment from God. And just like that, we see that Paul, I mean, that God has given Paul and Epaphroditus a sweet gift. When these guys are struggling, Epaphroditus is about to die. Paul's in jail, probably sweaty, hungry, who knows. There's probably rats in his, in his, in his, in his cell and, and, and all these nasty things. He's probably on dirt. And he sees God and he says, thank you. Thank you for giving me mercy. Thank you for caring about me. And he says, lest, weird old word, um, that I should have sorrow so that I don't, is what it means, so that I don't have sorrow upon sorrow. Like Paul was feeling this heavy for his man Epaphroditus. He did not want him to die. He loved him so much. And I'm sure he may have felt some guilt of like, oh, man, I'm the one who sent you back. And I'm the one who, and then you got to come back to me. Just imagine what Paul felt. Paul was human. He was weak. He was needy. And he's feeling this. So the point in this, we talked about um, that true gospel partnership necessitates sending, which leads to true gospel service. So we're going to think about this now, that true gospel partnership necessitates suffering which leads to true gospel service. And so you're like, it doesn't say that there. They're just suffering. It doesn't mean we have to suffer. The Bible is clear that we will all suffer as believers. It says all who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. That's, so that's suffering, meaning someone's coming to get you. That's different. That's 2 Timothy 3.12. Paul's telling that to Timothy. So there is suffering for sin. That happens because of our consequences. And even in that, God is gracious to, to show us mercy. There's things that we have done. There's things that we have done we don't even realize, and there's consequences for our sin. 
um, I'm going to call that negative suffering. We're not talking about negative suffering here. Um, But rather, our text speaks of this gospel suffering. And, And there is spiritual gospel suffering. And that brings what? Mental and emotional anguish. You see Paul's language, and he's talking this way. And and again, we see from Paul's life and from Epaphroditus this like physical gospel suffering. Gospel suffering which leads to to, to physical or spiritual gospel suffering because those can be connected. Remember, Paul had been through so much. He had been beaten. He had been through so many physical things. Shipwrecked, imprisoned. But... Again, this gospel suffering, suffering, whether physical or spiritual um, gospel suffering, leads us to understand the gospel in a more clear way. We don't want it. We don't ask for suffering. That's, that's not smart. That's dumb to say, bring me suffering. That's not what we do. The Bible never says to do that, but it says, hey, guys, suffering is inevitable. It's not a prosperity gospel that gets you everything great and your life's just going to be amazing. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. He doesn't say we're going to self-actualize and become their seven steps to becoming a better us. No, that's a lie. He actually says deny yourself. Now, in that, he says when you lose your life, you will find it. And those who try to find their life will lose it. That's the beauty of Jesus. In us denying ourselves, we actually find life. We can ring out and cry out what Paul has said. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's what Paul wants the Philippian church to know, and that's what Christ wants us to know. That this gospel suffering leads to understanding the gospel in a more clear way as we resonate and remember the suffering servant, Jesus Christ. The God-man who suffered for our sake. He who knew no sin. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the justice or righteousness of God. We realize in our suffering that we need him in his gospel story more and more every day. And this is a gospel that, that Christ, the Trinity was there. The triune God created everything and made everything good and made us in his image. He made us, to, to the, he knew those who would become his children, those who would be from the foundations of the earth who would become his children. He created each and every one of you in his image knowing, not, not being caught off guard when Adam and Eve fell and that sin transferred to all of us, and that we would then be lacking and missing, and that we would be broken. We have to see the brokenness of our own sin to see Christ. That's what he has done in his story. He's allowed us, who were his good created image, to then see, hey, that he is the true man. We see in the fall that the word Adam means man. So we see in the end in the New Testament that Jesus is the second Adam, the second man, or the, the, the last man, in a way the real man, the final man. So we are marred images of, of humanity. That's why we have sin. And we have the God man to show us, look, in our brokenness, in all our sin, and all the things you've thought and done, that's why we need Jesus. He's our redemption. He's our hope. He's the one who comes. He's the one who gives us the ability to love him and to do gospel service and to be gospel partners. He's the one who allows us to go through suffering because he went through suffering on a cross, not just a physical Roman death on a cross. Yes, he was put on a cross and nails were put in his hand and there was blood and suffering and it hurt him physically. But more than that, he took on the anger, the wrath of the father. He, God showed mercy to us. And instead of putting that on us, he put it on his son, Jesus Christ. So that then we 
could be children of God and that we could be ones that could enter into life being able to deal with suffering and handle conflict. Not that we're going to do it perfectly. Not that we're not going to cry and have tears and feel it. That's okay. We need to lament and feel suffering. Yes, because that's part of the grieving process. If you never cry, if you never feel it, a lot of times in American culture, we just want to bypass something and throw it under the rug and be like, I'm good. I'm strong. I'm an American. I'm a soldier. I build myself up by my own bootstraps, right? No. Cry. Feel it. Let the Spirit be with you in your suffering. Let the Spirit comfort you when you feel weak. In our weakness, he is strong. In our weakness, there is gospel hope. And guys, that's the point of this gospel partnership, that we don't do it alone, that we do it together that we partner together to help each other. You have the Holy Spirit. I have the Holy Spirit. And if we come together, then we sense the power of the Spirit stronger. That's why God said nothing will come over my church. The church was God's design for us to make it. And God's design for us, to, to uh, the, the vehicle that would teach us how these disciples, how these, these ones who love God and love people, how we make disciples, we have to be harvested or, or grown together in sanctification and maturity in the church. And in redemption, guys, Jesus says, the one who suffered, the one who died, who lived a perfect life, died, then resurrected and then ascended, said, I'm coming again. It's called the Lord's day. He's going to come again and there will be no more tears and no more pain. And all that suffering will be wiped away. Guys, and we, like we sang victory in Jesus in our little country voices, he is going to come back and he will set things right. He is the one who will bring vengeance. We don't have to. He will set it right. There will be no more pain and no more suffering and all the things that we felt and, 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 and gone through for God's glory. We hopefully now can say for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. And when he comes back, he will usher in righteousness and peace and justice and beauty, and there will be a new heavens and a new earth, and we will have resurrected bodies like Christ. And that is our hope, guys, that we know this true gospel story and that it compels us to understand this true gospel partnership. And because of the gospel, we can see now that true gospel partnership, it necessitated sending, it necessitates suffering, and it will necessitate risking which leads to true gospel service. There's risking in our gospel service. It's not easy. It's not hard. It, we might die. It may be like Epaphroditus. We might get really ill. Now, I don't think we're all supposed to do that, but we should be willing to risk our lives and risk ourselves for the sake of the gospel. If we know this true gospel, then our sending and suffering then allows us to risk our lives for Jesus and his gospel. Not a risking that is careless. Jesus says, be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. But risking is risking. And as Epaphroditus risked his life, we are to be bold in the gospel and risk our lives for Jesus and for the love of our brothers and sisters, our partners in the gospel. That's how the world will see Christ's love. Not necessarily by how we love the world. Jesus says something different. Uh, Jesus says, but the world will know the love of Christ by how we love one another as gospel partners. John 13, 34 says, Jesus says this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. 
He says, by this, by what? By this love for one another as the church, as his children. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. So he's talking about gospel partnership. He's talking about love that we have as the church. We sometimes as a church think we got to, oh, show the world this and show them that they don't even care. The Bible says love each other first. Love like Epaphroditus and Paul had that love, brotherly love. Love like Timothy. That's love that will change the world. And we partner together. When we love God and we love people, our first neighbor is each other as the church. That's how we will make disciples of all kinds of people, all nations. And that's how we glorify God. And so true gospel partnership necessitates risking, which leads to true gospel service. Again, we've seen that true gospel partnership necessitates suffering, I mean, sending, suffering. Now we're going to see risking in verses 28 and 30. Paul says, of his friend Epaphroditus, I am the more eager to send him Epaphroditus. He says, therefore, that, that you may rejoice at seeing him, literally seeing his face. He's saying that you would have joy. I, I, I love to see your guys' face every morning, and you guys give me joy. And I pray that you give each other joy when you see each other's faces, when you see that, that person that is here, when you get that text from that person in the body. It doesn't mean we're all going to be best friends, but we are family. We're brothers. That's more than best friends. Best friends is what you do when you're five, right? You're my best friend. I don't know. I don't know. Who's my best friend? I don't know. Jesus? No. But like we, that we would have gospel partners. That supersedes any other human kind of designation of a relationship, that we would be brothers and sisters in the gospel. And that's what Paul is saying. Like, man, I just see your face and I'm amped to see your face. That's powerful. Think of the people that, that you interact with every day in the church. Do you get that kind of joy? I mean, we love people so much that we get that kind of joy to see them. I remember, like, when I was young and I'd come into my church and I was just like, what's up? I'm like, I was always like, you know, you, you. And people were probably like, oh, my gosh. I don't know. But I just love to see people, especially at church. It just gave me so much joy. And I pray that we can have that, not in a fake way, not in an overdone, annoying way. Uh, we all have different personalities. But the, there would be true joy when we see each other. That's what Paul wanted the Philippians to feel. He says, and that I may be less anxious. He says, I know if you see them, see him, that means you're, you're happy. He made it. He didn't, uh, he didn't pass away. He made it. And, and Paul's like, man, that I may be less anxious. I don't have to feel that distress that Epaphroditus was feeling. And he says, look at verse 29. So receive him in the Lord with all joy. Same rejoice, joy, He's saying it again. That's why we sang that song. To have joy in the suffering, in the pain, in the illness. Like Epaphroditus is probably, have, I'm just imagining he has stomach pain or something's about to explode. And he, he was like, I was about to die. I don't know what happened. He was about to die. Maybe uh, God knew that he was so sick, but God preserved him. And, and, and then it's interesting. It says, so receive him in the Lord with all joy. I don't know. It was like, hey, man, he was sick. Somebody, somebody's going to have to take him in, <laughs> so please receive him with joy because he's coming in nasty. You know, I don't know, but who knows why Paul is, like, having to amp them up. Receive him with joy. Uh, they maybe didn't know him. They're like, he's coming in sick. Like, I don't know if I want to receive that guy. Paul says, receive him with all joy. He made it. And then he says this interesting phrase, and honor such men. A lot of times we, we're called in, in the fifth commandment to honor our parents, Right? We sometimes as Americans don't understand honor because it's not really part of our culture. Now, there are some Eastern cultures that take honor too far. Honor can almost become worship or like wrong submission. 
Um, but in the West, we don't honor anybody. We're like, my way, what I want, my rights, my thing. And the Bible says, outdo one another in honor. Think of that. As the church, outdo, Romans 12, 10, outdo one another in honor. Do we honor each other? That's a way to think of how you respect someone that you respect, that you love, that you appreciate their words. They may be different, but you're going to listen to them. You're not just going to, you're going to listen, receive, that y'all might be saying the same thing a lot of times. That's what honestly a lot of times happen. Or if you're saying something different, if we honor each other, we can understand each other and learn from each other. And that's what Paul is saying. Hey, you may not understand this guy. He's coming in hot. He's coming in sick. (laughs) Um, He may be from a different town. You don't know him, but he's saying, just honor him. Just because of me, even, honor them. And then he says, why? Look at verse 30. Because or for, he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete or to come to an end, this Greek idea, what was lacking in your service to me. He kind of humbles the Philippians. He's saying, you guys help me. You guys help me with money. You guys help me with a lot of things. But this dude, he really helped me. Like I was in jail. I was suffering. He's been with me. And so we see, again, this idea of outdoing one another in love, that there is this risking in gospel partnership, that are risks we're going to have to take in relationships. You will get burned by people sometimes. You will invest your life in someone, and they will uh, uh, go a different way. Sometimes people will say mean things to you. They'll say mean things about you. That's a risk we're going to have to take. That's just personally. Then there's the risks we're going to have to take culturally. People are going to think you're weird. They're going to think you're, uh, they could think you're a freak. They could think this or that thing about you. Paul was in jail, and he was the apostle Paul. Don't think we're beyond jail time either. I don't know um, what the next, you know, few years. Every generation thinks that their generation is, you know, the worst of World War II. Since World War One and on, it's been really, everybody's been thinking, okay, Christ is coming now in the church. And so we don't know when Christ is coming back. No one knows the hour of the day, but we are supposed to be ready and live and echo this, this, this thing that Paul said, for me to live as Christ, to die as gain, that we would live as gospel partners, that, that know that gospel partnership necessitates true sending, that we would be ones who go, that we would be ones who would send people, and that we would be ones who would suffer well for Jesus. There's a way to suffer well. Uh, we see the example here, and we see many examples in Scripture, and that we would then, even in our suffering and in our sending, that, guys, we would risk our lives for the gospel. That doesn't mean be dummy, right? It, it doesn't mean to, be, to do uh, things that um, are... are um, dangerous or crazy necessarily all the time. Um, that's not what it's saying. But we do know that sometimes we will be sent to do something difficult that may seem crazy to the world. R- sending your kids to the nations, maybe. Some of you will have kids, and, and they may go somewhere crazy. You're like, I don't want you to go, but the God might be calling them. Or even living here. My, for me, I think one of the hardest things is to live in my own culture. I would rather be somewhere else sharing the gospel, and, and, but here, living here is not easy. And for a lot of times for Americans, you get kind of complacent, and you think, ah, oh, the gospel doesn't have power. It does. And our gospel partnership can change Irving and change DFW. What started as a mustard seed can become this strong tree. And so true gospel partnership, again, necessitates the suffering and risking, which lead to true gospel service, which then allows us to live lives, as Paul says, worthy of the gospel. We can proclaim for me to live as Christ and to die as gain no matter what comes our way. And so, guys, 
We have worshiped our great triune God today. And we've learned that, that in our text today, in Philippians 25, 30, that it clearly teaches that the church today can be encouraged, not discouraged, encouraged to learn from Epaphroditus' life of gospel service, which shows us that this true gospel partnership that we can hold necessitates sending, suffering, and risking, which leads us to true gospel service. So I pray that we pray, Lord, from this man's life, what are some ways that I can grow in gospel partnership and gospel service? Do you need to join a church? Do you need to join a people? We, we, we don't, you don't have to join our church, but we encourage you to consider. We have a covenant partner class coming March 29th. Do you have a people that you are rolling with? That's important. That you're living life together with. That's important. And in that, if you have that gospel partnership, are you living a life doesn't mean sending that you have to be going and doing, but are, are you your resources, the, your, your church, your people, are they involved in sending? Are they involved in, in not just keeping the gospel here, but keeping the gospel there and, and developing people here? Are you living your life, as Paul said, making disciples as you go? Sending doesn't mean just going to a, a crazy country. It means as you're living your life, are you making disciples? Are you investing in people? That's what sending means too. Having relationships of gospel partnership where it involves this kind of life. And guys, in that, suffering is going to come. Are you ready and preparing for that suffering? And if you're in it, know that God has you. He loves you. If you're his child and he wants to minister to you, just like um, Epaphroditus had ministered to Paul, Christ will minister to us. And in that, in our suffering, guys, we will live lives that, that, that will be lives that are risking, lives that take risk. Again, be wise as a serpent and innocent as a dove. That's what Jesus says. So he doesn't say to do ridiculous things that don't make sense out of your power. But if the Spirit is calling you to risk, you risk. If the Spirit is calling you to do something that's uncomfortable, you do it. Not in your own power, in the Spirit's power. That can be people can abuse and say, the Spirit told me to do this. No. A lot of times um, we, we can do that in the wrong way. But if we're abiding in Jesus and loving God and living in him and have the spirit indwelling in us, he will tell us to do things that don't make sense. They may not make sense to our family. They may not make sense to our friends. Uh, sometimes if you're in, a, in a, a marriage or something where it may not make sense and you have to grow closer together, sometimes it is, um, again, your work setting, different settings that we live in, we're called to risk. And so, guys, I pray that we live lives, again, of this true gospel partnership, which necessitates sending others and ourselves for the gospel. So let's live lives of true gospel partnership, which prepares us to suffer for Jesus and his gospel, which prepares us to take gospel risk. The Spirit will lead you in that, which will lead us to true gospel service, which will honor one another in Jesus as we live lives worthy of the gospel for his glory and his kingdom. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we love you. We need you, Lord. Like Paul, we are weak. And sometimes we don't know what we need other than we know that we need you, Father, in the fact that we are sent and we are called as a church, Lord, as gospel partners to live. Lord, we ask you, Lord, to allow us to suffer well, to allow us, if we're in deep suffering now, Lord, if, if we're doing good and that's fine, Lord, that you're preparing our hearts not just to love the good times or to love you in the good times, but to love you in the bad times, to love you in the hard times. Lord, and in that, we will, that we would live our lives of gospel partnership 
in, in, in risking, in risking because it, what the Spirit has called us to risk, Lord. And we learn from our brother Epaphroditus and Paul of a risking that was literally to death. As you've reminded us in your word, for us to live as Christ and to die is gain. So let that resonate in our souls, Lord, as we respond now to your gospel. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.